Welcome to the Relaxed Running Podcast, the show that helps runners and athletes in running-based sports transform the way they run. Here's your host, Tyson Popplestone. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Relaxed Running Podcast. Tyson Popplestone here. Thanks so much for being here. So excited to introduce to you today's guest, Mr. Patrick Tiernan. Recently became the second fastest Australian marathon runner of all time with only Brett Robertson ahead of him. He cracked the two hours and eight minute barrier in Houston at the start of January. And I reached out to him pretty soon after saying, mate, let's do round three on the podcast. He's always an enjoyable guy to talk to. I love his philosophy. I love his openness about his training, about his recovery, about his mindset, about where he's going next, what he's working on, what he's struggling with, where he struggled and how he overcame. He's an open book with this information, which I think for all other athletes serves as food for thought, serves as an education on areas of our own performance that we can improve. I love that a guy of Paddy's level is still looking for ways to improve, maybe even more closely than so many athletes who aren't performing at his level. He's on the hunt for small areas of performance that he can really tighten up in order to reach that new level of marathon running. From a personal perspective, it's absolutely no surprise to see how well he's run over the marathon, a four-minute PB since his debut in Chicago when he kick-started with a two-hours, 11-minute marathon. He's we tap, we tap into this in a little more detail, but I think he's... Uh, his style of racing, his strength as a runner really suit the marathon. And it was exciting to get a chance to talk to him about this and hear his thoughts on that. Uh, more specifically, I wanted to hear about his lead up to this marathon. What was it that led him to a four-minute improvement on his marathon time? We speak with uh, clarity or in a bit more depth, I should say, on uh, simplicity and consistency in training. We talk about how he's monitoring his training load and recovery using data like heart rate monitors and also sleep data, which he gets from his aura ring. We talk about gradually increasing mileage and listening to our bodies as we do it to help avoid injuries. We talk about finding a healthy balance between pushing yourself and taking some downtime in training to help recover and strengthen your body. Also tap into hydration, electrolytes, and how he's replenishing fluids throughout his training and throughout the day to get him hydrated and ready to roll when he's out there training and racing. We honestly, we, we tapped deeply into a lot of the marathon preparation. It was a really good chat, especially as a bloke who's starting to develop a bit more hunger and excitement to start running some marathons. I personally love this. I know you will too. So if you enjoyed it, make sure you shoot Patty some love on Instagram. Let him know you heard it. Um, let him know what you liked. We'd also appreciate it if you're enjoying these podcasts, wherever it is that you listen to them, leave a review, leave a comment. It, it really helps just send the podcast out to way more people, which is really, really helpful. Also, last thing before I let you know, really excited to let you know, we are running our second ever relaxed running camp. This time, July 11th to July the 15th. That's a Thursday to a Monday in Noosa. That's Queensland, Australia, if you're not from Australia. And I mean, that time of the year, it's the place you want to be if you're an Australian. Get up there where the sun's shining. It's going to be five days, four nights of running, strength and conditioning, a whole heap more. Whether it's a holiday you want, some structured training and coaching, some downtime, a little bit of a social atmosphere, we've got all that plus the national park trails that we can delve into up there. I've heard unbelievable things and seen some unbelievable videos of the trails that we get to run on up there. So if you're interested in joining us, we're going to take a maximum of 10 athletes. You can find the link in the description to this episode. But for now, let me introduce for the third time on the show, 207 Marathon Man, 
Mr. Patrick Tiernan. Sweet. Dude, yeah, so what, 13 months ago you were just saying was the time pretty much that we last spoke and you were midway through dealing with the stress fracture. And I remember a standout part of that conversation was just a number of the things that you wanted to take into your next marathon that you saw as room for improvement. Because what, your debut was 213 a couple of years ago? 211, 211 a couple, uh, yeah, October October 2022. So, yeah, technically two years ago, but about 14, 14 so 15 11. months ago, yeah. All right, yeah. so I've thrown I've thrown two minutes on top of your debut. I'd like to apologise for that, but um, that's right. knew... I'll take a five minute PB. <laughs> yeah. That's all right. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew yeah, it was yeah. a uh, uh, an impressive PB, but mate, one of the things that I remember ending our conversation thinking last time was that I was really keen to pick your brain around the lead up to the next marathon because I remember there were quite a few things you said that going back into uh, a marathon round two that you reckon you had room to improve on. One of the things that you spoke about specifically was getting a little more time on legs, um, on road specifically, and also just looking at doing a, a little heavier lifting in the gym before going out for your long runs. And I remember thinking, all right, I'll be interested to find out what he does with that. And I'll be interested to see the um, trajectory of his marathon time. And, and here we are, what, 13, uh, 13 months later, just run the second fastest Aussie marathon of all time. I'm not going to guess the seconds, but I mean, 207 was bloody impressive. I can't remember off the top of your head, if, oh, my head. If you want to just fill me in on that detail before we get into it, it'd make me look less silly. Uh, 207.45. Sweet, man. So yeah, if yeah. you're happy, if you're happy, I thought for the sake of the viewers, one thing that I know everyone's going to be pumped to hear about is fill us in on, on this last 13 months. What did build up for marathon round two look like i've got some real specific questions that i was curious to pick your brain on so maybe i'll just jump into it i mean there's so many points when it comes to marathon or running preparation that you can start at so i'm sure we'll bounce around a little bit but mate essentially in a nutshell if you had to paint a picture of what the lead up looked like and what went better what went worse areas that you still think you can improve after marathon number two, where are you at, man? Um, I mean, I guess the the funny thing is, is that, you know, I I was thinking when when we were you know getting when you messaged me about doing this podcast, I was trying to think of what I said I was going to try for my next marathon, and uh, I did I did try what I said I was going to try, and ultimately that kind of ended up in me getting hurt. You know, I I tried to. I think ultimately I'd learned a lot of things from that first marathon in Chicago and instead of trying to tweak maybe one thing at a time, uh, I tried to do a lot at once. And so spent a lot of time on the roads, spent a lot of time in the gym, you know, lifting lifting heavy and, um, yeah, essentially it was just it was just too much and my body kept, kept giving out, you know. I, um, you know, I had that stress reaction at the start of, start of January um, last year, which was more so, I think, coming, honestly, I think that was more so taking a bit too much time off after the marathon and, and just letting things get a bit um, stuck from from what they uh, were feeling after that race and then trying to come back. But, uh, but yeah, I had that and then I had an issue with my quad uh, in late April, I think, early May, just as I was trying to get back into racing after that. Uh, stress reaction 
And then about three weeks out from world champs where I was meant to run the marathon, I strained my right glute. And, um, you know, essentially what it came down to was I, I just had to sit down after that, you know, after making the decision to pull out from world champs just to be like, what am I doing? Like what's, what's going on that's, that's essentially having me get hurt a number of times because I'd never been like that before. You know, I'd had, I'd had some injuries in my past that maybe lasted for a month or so or kept me out for a month or so more so um but i was always able to get back and race and like make a season out of it and i just didn't i just couldn't do that last year i just kept getting hurt and so yeah ultimately there was just we just tried to do too much at once and introduce too many new things and my body was catching up and you know the marathon itself was a new event so um yeah so if i was to summarize my build-up for houston it was just um Simplicity and consistency, I would say, you know, like we, we kind of took a step back. I got together all the training I'd done over the last uh, four or five years and just kind of looked at key races, key things, seeing what went well, what was consistent throughout it all when I was healthy and running well and tried to apply that as best as I could to, um, in sort of summary. So then when I went to Alistair and said, look, this is what I think, this is what I think we can do. Um, that's worked for me in the past how can you help me expand on that sort of thing um, and so yeah so that was really good like he worked really well with me he was really open to a lot of things and let me sort of take my time getting back into it so that I was healthy and trusted me with a lot of stuff you know trusted that going into a couple of races undercooked I'd still be able to perform and whatnot um, so that was great and then my strength coach Jimmy Radcliffe was fantastic in you know, building a program around keeping me healthy, keeping me moving, making me more efficient rather than necessarily like, I don't know, there's, there's a, I don't want to say not getting stronger because I think that all gym programs should focus on making you stronger, but just not like, you know, not necessarily uh, muscle strong, but efficiency strong, if that makes sense. I'm not, not too sure exactly how to word it, but essentially just keeping everything healthy and repairing while I was doing this training. Um, so, yeah, we really just tried to keep all, keep it as simple as we could, play into my, you know, what's worked for me before and play into my background as a 5K, 10K runner. Um, and, yeah, ultimately our main goal was just, just get me to the line healthy, confident, and you know feeling ready you know just getting me back to back to my old self and and honestly I did this season was or this you know these past three races leading into Houston was the first time I'd felt like myself in a very long time and so um yeah it was just yeah we just went back to basics expanded on things a little bit and ultimately you know this one went really well and I think we learned a lot from Chicago that I could apply to this one but I also walked away from this one you know thinking like that went well but now i have a better idea of what we need to do for paris to like notch it up again sort of thing um but yeah the main lesson being learned is that you know i've got a lot of ideas as to how to get better but i'm not going to be able to do them all at once so we just got to figure out what what one or two things we might try and improve of in that in that block yeah, mate, isn't it so funny that regardless of what level you compete at, whether you're a community runner, like majority of the audience who listen to this podcast or, or an elite runner like yourself, simplicity, consistency seem to be the standout points. Like I know 
that goes a lot deeper than it sounds on the surface in terms of knowing. I mean, it's good to focus on simplicity, but a lot of the time it's hard to, I guess, eliminate the excess from your training schedule if you don't know what that excess is. So I know that beyond what you say, it's a, a lot more of a deep conversation, but that focus is, it constantly amazes me how many athletes of all levels have a particular um, focus on simplicity and consistency. Yeah. And yet a lovely troop, man, he uh, coached Jay Corolli and a number, other, a number of other top athletes, obviously a great Aussie marathon runner himself. After Jake Riley ran his big marathon breakthrough, I want to say 210 to qualify for the Olympics a couple of years ago, so many people were asking Troopy, like, what are you doing? And there was a, a great thread on on Let's Run. And I think it was based on a tweet that Troopy put out there saying, As there's nothing special about the build-up that we did. Here's exact training program that we did. Here's what we did six weeks out. Here was our key sessions. And yep. on the surface, mate, it was the most simple training program you'd ever see. Yeah. But in terms of the ability to be consistent with the simple training program that they were doing, you had to be bloody strong. And that's where the conversation yeah. gets interesting because I, I don't know exactly how many miles he was running a week, but it was a it was like a two and a half hour Sunday run. There were double runs throughout the week. I think there was two or potentially even three fairly solid style sessions within it. And I remember reading that and going, okay, well, you, you don't need to bog yourself down in too many details. You just got to do the small things well and build up over time. But like you've touched on a couple of times throughout this conversation, that skill of being able to be consistent is is one that I think a lot of athletes struggle with for a variety of reasons. And I'm right down the rabbit hole at the moment. Of I'm listening to the Triathlon Training Bible because I just heard so much about the first couple of chapters and just that mental attitude towards endurance performance. And it, it applies beautifully yeah. to running training. Um, Joe Friel, who was the the author of the book, was just explaining that the biggest killer of an athlete's consistency is their excitement and their impatience. Like you'll go out for yeah. a training session and you should know the limits of that training session, whether it's a heart rate zone, an effort zone. But too many of us try and, uh, you know, give ourselves a little magic pill or at least a psychological boost and go, okay, well, marathon pace is this. So how about I just push it a little bit more? And then, mate, my whole last year was dealing with calf issues, trying to navigate my way around that. And it yep. sounds as though you've been toying with that balance a little bit. And you touched on it briefly. Um, I, I spoke about the the callousing of your legs that you mentioned in the last one, the gym programs. What else was going on in your training program early last year that was hampering your ability to be consistent? I think I was... Um... I don't know. I think I was maybe trying to get a bit cute with stuff. Um, like in coming back, I think I've always always been pretty good at taking my time coming back, um, you know, into into training. Uh, but I think maybe I tried to make a bit of a jump too quickly into some, you know, maybe 5K, 10K sort of work uh, rather than, you know, really working on, on my aerobic base and, and getting that sorted out first. Um, you know, and that, that was, I don't think that had anything to do with Alistair's approach. That was more so, like I said, I these last few races were the first time I felt like myself in a while. And I think there was a lot of, there was a couple of years where I kind of just lost a bit of a sense of that. And I just wanted to, I just wanted to race. And I just wanted to race hard sort of thing. And so 
kind of lost my way a little bit with navigating my training and, um, you know, I think part of my consistency in previous years was understanding what I was doing and, um, you know, not necessarily, I don't want to say having a say in it, but more so just like being able to comprehend it and go into sessions understanding what I was trying to do. And I don't think I really tried as hard as I could to do that for a couple of years. And so, um, yeah, I was going in and I, I thought I knew what I was, you know, thought I kind of understood what I was doing and whatnot. But then looking back on it now, I was like, it didn't really, I, mean, I kind of just skipped a big portion of my training. Like I, I feel like I kicked, kicked myself a little bit looking back at it because I'm like, that was, that was something that I've never really let myself do before. Like I've always, always been able to, sort of go through the the phases of training and focus on um the right things and maybe i was you know i think the large part of that is i was very lucky to have uh someone like marcus very early on in my career who um you know educated me fairly well with a lot of things and and now i'm in a stage in my career where you know it's kind of on me to to understand what i need to do and and for me to you know, be the teacher to myself a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, so I think, like I said, I think I just got into things when I didn't need to. Like I, the, the heavy lifting for me didn't make sense with the running that we were doing. Like you know, shouldn't have been partnering big marathon sessions with big heavy lifting, you know. Like if you're going to do heavy lifting, you do it when you're doing maybe more, you know, shorter mileage when the running is not t- not taken as much out of you. So, um, and vice versa, like I was not really lifting much at all and doing a lot of shorter, faster stuff. And so things weren't necessarily evening out there in the sense that things weren't switched on when I was coming to the track, you know, so they were switching on finding their way during those things, which I think is what could have set that, quad thing off on me and essentially a whole chain of issues down that left side so um yeah I think just I wasn't taking the time to make sense of stuff and to put things in place and so um like I said when when that glute issue came around in July um you know I kind of just sat down and thought I gotta really figure this out because something's something's not working and and you know you want to think at that point that it's one simple thing um you know one session that might have done it or you want to blame anything and everything and then as I kind of took the time to look back over stuff I was like I really just kind of got away a bit from from who I am as an athlete and like haven't really taken the time to like my I lost my strength a little bit in my aerobic base and so I was like I need to focus on getting that back and then build into the other stuff and that's essentially what we did is we, we took the time to really build up from the bottom um starting in august so that you know come october we were able to start getting into some more marathon half marathon sort of pace stuff and then november we did some 10k work december we went back to marathon work and essentially that's what put us in the spot there but that's that's the sort of thing and with the lifting program we took out necessarily the weights but we did you know, maybe a bit more, um, it's kind of more like speed development and like dynamic light lifting while we were building up that aerobic base. And then we had a couple of weeks during that 10K work where we did some more like big focus on dynamic rather than strength lifting. 
and then went back to strength lifting for the duration. And so, but yeah, just took the weight out of it and focused on posture and um, form essentially, which really helped. And so, um, yeah, it's it was, I don't know, like, like I said, there wasn't necessarily one thing that was wrong. It was just we had the pieces of the puzzle. We were just forcing them into places that they didn't belong. And um, once we took the time to separate them all, we, we could kind of get a better idea of how they fit together. Yeah. It's really interesting to hear you just break down the last couple of years and that feeling of perhaps la- lacking a sense of clarity on exactly where you were in, in the plan. Because I think the first time, well, I know the first time I ever met you, I'm questioning the year. I want to say it was 2016, 2017 in the cafe in London. I'd been watching you on the European circuit and it was a bit of a breakthrough year for you. I remember um, just trying to find certain pubs around London when I knew that you or Stewie or someone was running, yeah. but the races that you were running then were very much, you were, you were sort of targeting, I mean, there was a couple of 1500s from memory, but I remember you belting out some really good three Ks, uh, one in particular, I can't remember where it was, but I mean, fast forward seven years and you know, you, you've sort of transitioned a little bit from what I can tell from that shorter, faster running, which obviously does have a lot more uh, higher intensity, higher speed intervals involved into marathon running, which it sounds like, you know, you're still incorporating some, some much higher speed than marathon pace. But so like from a mental point of view, I feel as though I can understand where that lack of clarity comes from. It's like, okay, well, clearly you were a, a very high level track athlete and you're slowly sort of making a transition to a very high performing marathon runner. And just that limbo in between, it does sound like a little bit of a difficult headspace to be in and without absolute clarity on what the target race is, I could see how, um, you know, if it was me in your shoes, that that headspace would be a little bit difficult to know how to approach each session. Like from a, a mental point of view at the moment, have you completely made the move into the marathon or do you still see yourself in the future going back and racing some some track races? I see myself going back and racing track, but not so much for the purpose of running track but as a benefit to my marathon i would say like i think it's like you said i I did i have run well on the track like i've I've run quick times in in you know if we're being realistic not so distant at time you know 2021 i was running you know pretty decent 5ks and 10ks and um set my 1500 pb in 2021 so you know, it wasn't wasn't that long ago that I was doing that sort of stuff and felt felt in a really good place with it. And so, um, I think I'm I'm all in on the marathon now, more so just because when I look back at those races that you were talking about, like in 2017 when I was doing a lot of 3Ks, um, I always look back on that as like I didn't I, I didn't really have the speed. I was more so just running on strength and. Um, because I was never closing really quick. Like I would be able to close those, you know, some quicker races maybe in like 57, 56 potentially. Um, but I was never one who was, you know, waiting for a kick. I was always trying to get rid of get rid of the kick out of people. Um, and so that's what gives me a lot of sort of confidence going into the marathon is knowing that my track background is strength. And so if I can carry that same strength over into the marathon, that might be that might translate into a bit of a kick for me, you know. Like a marathon kick can be a it can be a ten k kick, 
you know, a 5K, 10K kick, which I feel very confident that that's something I can do. Um, and, yeah, I've always, you know, I've always thought that I was going to be a marathon runner. It's just I was never ready to – I could never really wrap my head around, it. Um, you know, the concept of racing for two hours, not only running for two hours, but racing. And, um, yeah, I think it was – right around maybe New York Marathon in 2021 after Tokyo I was watching uh, who was it I don't think I was watching the men's race I think I was watching maybe uh, the women's race and Molly Seidel was running um, off of a bronze medal she finished fourth and I remember thinking that in in the US college system we were very similar runners you know like she was a very good track runner but was a strength-based runner and so I saw that and I thought you know what maybe maybe that is something I can tackle you know maybe maybe the marathon maybe I'm ready to give my give my hand to that now so um so yeah so once I kind of wrapped my head around doing it mentally then it was a matter of actually kind of doing it and so I feel like the training was the the big mental thing for me was just trying to figure out how to do it because I've typically always been a pretty low mileage guy on the track. Like I never really exceeded 90 miles a week. Um, and so that's about what, 140 to 145 Ks. Just doing the conversions. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, going to the marathon, you hear of all these people doing 180 plus K weeks, which is like, it's a lot, you know, adding, adding 30, 30 to 35 K a week on the, uh, on your regular week um, is, you know, a pretty daunting sort of thing. So I was trying to sort of wrap my head around that and figure out how I was going to do that and how I was going to do these, you know, not necessarily the long sessions, but just like get through long runs that were two and a half hours or, you know, regular runs that were instead of doing a 60, 30 double doing, 75 35 or 75 40 sort of thing like those were the sorts of things that were daunting to me like the recovery days almost rather than the actual sessions and whatnot um so yeah so we we tried doing all that sort of stuff and um you know we did it leading into chicago and you know the race race went well but like we talked about last time i, I just kind of fell apart in that last 10k in the sense that my legs just legs just got so heavy and I didn't know what to do with it. And we just thought that, you know, I just thought that running, you know, I just had to run extra miles and get that, get that feeling in my legs a bit more. Um, but what we really kind of played into for this one was, you know, kind of putting all those stereotypes away and looking back and being like, all right, Pat, if you were someone who was running 140 to 145k a week regularly for a 10k, then let's try 160 to 170k you know let's not go too crazy let's like bump it up but like essentially do something that's going to keep you healthy and still be a still be a step um and we'll just keep the recovery days at that 60 30 that you you've done in the past you know so essentially you're able to recover and get in the bigger session sort of thing and so in doing that, I kind of found that I was able to get more out of myself, not from a pace standpoint necessarily. Um, we did get more out of myself from a pace standpoint, but more so the important thing we got 
out of me in the sessions, in these long sessions, was that feeling that I got at the end of Chicago. Like I was able to push myself in a few of them to get to that point and then have to figure out in the last, you know, 10 to 20% of the session, how am I going to work through this? Like how do I keep moving forward at the same pace or quicker and essentially, you know, manage this feeling in my legs? And so that was kind of the big thing that um, really helped in this build-up was not putting an emphasis on, you know, kind of the stereotypical things that you would hear for a marathon, but more so looking at me and being like, how are we going to make Pat Tien in a marathoner? You know, how are we going to get him to do this rather than just putting, you know, Joe Schmo out here and being like, let's just do what you do with anyone sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, so it, it took a bit of, it took a lot of, you know, a lot of um, thought and, and a sort of a slow process um, this year, especially to, to figure that out. But I think we, you know, we, we definitely got it right for Houston. And, um, and like I said, now we've got to look at it and be like, all right, how do we improve on that? while keeping you healthy, keeping like still playing into your strengths as an athlete, but make you a better marathoner in the process. And so that's kind of what we're going through now is, is just trying to do essentially what we did in August. Um, look back at stuff, you know, in August I went out and visited my strength coach for a week and went over some stuff and he watched me and saw what stuff. And, um, three days after Houston, I made the same trip out there and saw him again. And we went over, some plans and, and some, you know, I talked about what I felt in Houston and we put together a little plan to, to kind of work on those things going forward um, while also factoring in what, what the running year is going to look like. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's you know, it's crazy. There's, a, there's just a lot of planning that goes into it and then the running, once you get the planning out of the way, the running is actually quite simple. It's just making sure that you're putting the right pieces in place and keep updating that and keep making sure that you're on top of those sorts of things yeah it's a really good point it's a really good point the the point you made uh, as well about you as a 10k runner you know averaging fairly high miles like a 145 150k a week but you were saying that uh, as a marathon runner like the idea of running 160 to 175k a week might uh, uh, be a bit of fit but from the foundation that you had in August or so where it sounds though, or was it July where you'd sort of been a little in and out of injuries, the idea of building up to that point still potentially seems a, a little bit daunting and has an asterisk next to it in terms of how well you'll handle that coming out of the niggles. So in terms of um, when you sat down and said, okay, it's August, here's what I'm going to target to actually getting ready for that marathon. Cause what's that August, September, October, November, December, five months, you've got about 20 weeks ish, until marathon race day at that point like what kind of miles were you running per week in august and and what did that actual build up to 170k a week look like um what was i doing in august actually i can get it up for you now but um it was i remember i like the actual time i spent at like that 160 to 170k range was not not a crazy amount of time. Like there was, but I know we did, there was at least this, oh, was it six to eight weeks or seven to nine week 
block leading into the week before Houston, where I was always above. Um, well, I lost you there, Paddy. Uh, 160 to 170 oh, range was because we had a couple of races in there. We had some travel in there. Um, but the days that we did train or the weeks that we did train, we like made sure to keep it so that, you know, like when I traveled, I traveled to Australia and raced Zadapec in uh, early December and traveling over there, you lose a day, you know, like you, you leave on the, whatever it is, the 12th, you land on the 14th and then you don't necessarily go out and do a full day of training the day up, sorry, the day after a 24 hour travel. So like essentially if you take out the 13th and the 14th, so that let's say that's a Monday, Tuesday, and then you have five days rest of the week. We wouldn't try and squeeze in 160k in those five days. We'd more so make it so that if you divide 160 by seven, and then times that by five. So like if those last five days would have been on track for a 160k week kind of thing. Um, so that's where like some of the stuff looked a little bit lower. But yeah, mate. I mean, first week of August, I ran. 11k next week was 8k and that was while i was just like testing out my um glute essentially and making sure like everything was like oh no sorry i'm reading the last day of the week that was that was way off right so we did like 30 35 to 40k um and then the next week would have been about 75, 75, maybe 80K. Um, and then we just slowly progressed that through August until we got to basically where September I'm running about 125K a week. We kept that pretty consistent for about three weeks. And then the last week of September bumped it up to, um, or the second last week of September bumped it up to 135 to 140 kept it there for another three weeks and then after the three weeks following that we increased it by sort of five to 10k increments until we got up to that 160 um to 170 mark by the end of october um and then yeah tried to keep it like i said on track for 160 to 170 a week um, some weeks were less because of travel days and races and stuff like that, but essentially taking out those days, everything else was on track for, was the same sort of mileage that you'd expect from a 160 to 170K week. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So the idea was that once you uh, hit that 160 to 170 in what late October, that you're just doing your best to maintain that all the way until pretty much your taper. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Yeah, man. So we nice. yeah, kept it all the way there and then I think it was the last kind of two weeks we started to taper, but we kept it still fairly decent. Sure. And, and in terms of how you're feeling throughout 160, 170K weeks, like yeah, what signs are you looking out for? Because one of the things that I've been sort of navigating and, and, and really – being focused on like with the athletes that I coach, I find it so much, so much easier than, than in myself, because there's naturally a tendency to be a little more emotional about your own training. If you're not careful. 
And I fell into that trap where my issue uh, was that 10 years ago when I was competing at my highest level, sort of same, uh, same events as you really, 3K, 5K from time to time, I had a certain foundation where I was running at least two sessions a week, uh, doing it consistently. I was more around probably 120-ish K a week, give or take a little. And I was doing that relatively consistency, uh, consistently. But then, uh, you know, boiling 10 years down into a, a you know, a bite-sized piece, still running a few times a week, fairly relaxed, um, not a lot of intense running, still going to the gym, uh, uh, not focused on uh, running form or efficiency, just focused on trying to get big pecs for Mrs. Popplestone. Uh, <laughs> but one of the things that I, I, I really struggled with last year was my mindset is, hey, Tosh, you're still an athlete, which is true to an extent, but the quality of athlete that I was this time last year was a lot less than what I was in 2014. But I went back out into training going, all right, well, I'm about 100K a week. That's what I used to do. I started at 80 I do a couple of intense sessions and my calves were like, yeah, not a chance. And despite the fact that like I knew mentally that um, I think what made it worse as well was that like my central fitness, like my actual heart, my lungs, I adjusted really quickly. I was getting very quick, uh, very fit, very quick. Yep. That muscle memory kicked in, but just biomechanically, my calves, uh, my legs, my body just wasn't ready to absorb that kind of work. And so over time, I started to learn uh, some of the telltale signs that, you know, I was about to strain a calf or about to get some form of injury. But it took me 12 months of just making dumb mistakes, partly because I'd never really had to experience many injuries as an athlete. Um, and partly because I was I was just in a little bit of a hurry. I was trying to get ready for Melbourne Marathon. Um, but for yourself, like obviously the break that you had between running high mileage was a lot less than mine. Uh, what are some of the things that you're looking out for to know that, all right, Pat, you're either handling this really well or it's time to back it off a little bit. It's time for an easier session. Like are you are you guided by feel or are you guided by data? Um, like you're looking at heart rate and things like that. Or where, where do you sort of fit um, all uh, – there's a lot in this question. But essentially what I'm trying yeah, to yeah. figure out is, yeah, how do you know if you're absorbing the training or if you're throwing too much at yourself too quickly? Yeah, I mean um... – Couple couple of answers, I guess. The first one is more so when um, when I when I did look back at a lot of things. One thing I noticed, and and I'm lucky enough to have been in a few different systems over the over my eight years as a as a professional runner. And one of the things I did notice was that, um, you know, when I had periods of intensity with training, say it was like a month's worth of intensity, I ran really well in that month. But then week five came and I would start to essentially would take a toll on me. And so mm -hmm. from then on, it was like I'd get up for one session, I'd crash for the next, I'd be up for the next one, crash for the next. Like I was just, I just started to go up and down. And and the trend I kind of saw in that was that I, it always, that wave kind of always followed a period of high intensity where I did just feel great and was hitting everything and flying sort of thing. Um, so this build, we kind of did almost like a preemptive, um, sort of thing where we alternated sessions. So we made sure that if we say so our schedule was for the most part, Tuesday, Friday, Sunday, um, Tuesday, Friday sessions, Sunday long run. And so we would basically alternate. It was almost like a two week cycle where Tuesday session would be heavy. Friday session would be moderate. So like not a recovery session, but just something that was essentially you'd be able to get through. It wouldn't be a strain sort of thing. And then Sunday would be a Sunday long run. Mm -hmm. 
uh, long run session, sorry. So that would be like where we'd be doing, you know, a 30K sort of effort with some long, with some marathon stuff, at marathon pace at the end. Um, following Tuesday would be a lighter session, lighter moderate session to get some turnover. But once again, just something that was very doable, not going to strain me too much. Friday of the following week, a heavy session. And then Sunday would just be a long run for time. So no emphasis on pace, just go out there and get it. And so we're essentially doing a little bit of a wave, creating a wave ourselves, rather than a wave happening from the data. You're like forcing the wave a bit. So we we basically did that to almost um, just kind of to stay safe for this one, I guess, just to make sure I I was healthy and um, just kind of relied on, you know, just my ability as an athlete, I guess, more so in this case. Um, so, yeah, so that that's kind of the preemptive approach we took this time around um, just to kind of get there, get the qualifier done and, and you know, be able to move on sort of thing. Um, but something I've, I have been looking into a lot um, recently and probably since, you know, probably around since June, um, is uh, sleep data, and so that's kind of been something that's been been a big help. You know, I think um, you can do a lot of stuff with with blood work as well and, and whatnot, but that often requires, you know, going in and, and getting blood work done pretty consistently. You're having, um, yeah, yeah. Essentially, you have to do blood work pretty consistently to be able to see changes in things and whatnot. Um, and you know, that can get that can get pretty expensive, but um, but no, Angel, Angel and I actually picked us. We picked up some aura rings um, in June, which uh, you know they're, they're a ring you chuck on your finger, and they they basically take a bunch of um, body metrics for you while you're sleeping and throughout the day and whatnot. And um, it's been great, you know. Like I think we've I've been able to tell from it, um, you know, after getting about six months worth of background data now on on myself and kind of seeing what's what's normal and what's not for me um can kind of tell when i wake up in the morning if something's feeling a little bit off um or if something is feeling a bit off i can have a look at that and see if there's there's something that's that's there um like for example i got the you know we got our covid and flu vaccines in october i think and um i don't know which like one of them has knocked me around a little bit in the past and I got that one this time around and didn't really think much of it and uh, woke up the next morning and just kind of felt like didn't feel great you know just felt a little like oh body's a bit sluggish or got a bit of a headache and things like that but it's like oh maybe I just didn't get enough sleep or something like that so I was like I'll take the dog for a walk and see how I'm feeling when I get back and did that still felt off so i was like oh let me have a look and see and sure enough my body temperature was about um you know two degrees celsius higher than it usually is um sort of thing and so that's that's been kind of cool to use it not necessarily to see to dictate when things are going well but more so just to make sure things are, are good like things aren't off i guess and so um, you know, there's a bunch of different metrics it gives where it's, your, you know, it gives you resting heart rate, it gives the amount of sleep and, you know, whether it was deep sleep, REM sleep, that sort of stuff. Um, 
your heart rate variability, which has been an interesting one to, to look into, um, as well as um, body temperature and uh, respiratory rate and things like that. So that's that's kind of something that we've been using um, recently to to just kind of dictate how how we've been recovering um, and whatnot. And once again, you can kind of see little trends and patterns with that, but a lot of it you're more so looking for normality with it um, and consistency again over time so um, so that when little things do pop up um, they kind of stand out and you can be like all right that's that's a bit out of the norm let's let's back off for a day and then check it again the next day and if it's if it's back on track then we can get straight back into what we were doing so um, so yeah so that's that's kind of what we've been looking at um, recently and that's worked pretty well um and that'll that'll be a big one you know going into this olympic um you know going into the olympic build-up because you know like i said houston was a pretty safe build-up in the sense that we just did things a bit safer than previously um and you know we we might want to try and try and have a couple of weeks or so in the build-up to paris where we we try to extend ourselves a little bit and whatnot. And so um, I think that'll, that sort of sleep data will definitely be something that will play a big factor in knowing when, when is okay to push and, and when is, when we might need a couple extra days to, to back off a bit. Yeah, man, it's wild just how much, even in the last 10 years, <clears throat> at least to the average athlete, how much data has, has come into the sport and I was so resistant to it for whatever reason, and perhaps just because I couldn't be bothered trying to navigate what it all meant. But I think as I've started to get a, a bit more involved, I've sort of—I'm not aiming to run any Olympics or anything. Like I'd love to to give the 220 marathon time a little bit of a shake in the next couple of years. Um, but that's kind of the extent of of my goals in the marathon. But as I've gotten more involved in training and managed to tie a little bit of consistency together and sort of just done some uh, digging and having so many great conversations, particularly an episode I did with a, a bloke called Gordo Byrne or a couple of interviews I've done with him and just hearing his insights and thoughts on the role that data plays in performance has been really interesting. And I'd kind of, um, you know, uh, had a bit of a wake up call that, yeah, it's all good to be, you know, Mr. Purity when it comes to sport. But the fact is you probably are leaving a little bit on the table in terms of, uh, you know, performance, or at least I, I like, there was a guy called Owen Everett, or, or I think it was Owen. He's an Irish guy. His name spelt different to what it sounds. Owen Everett, uh, exercise physiologist. He's like, mate, it's all good and well to say that you're running by feel, but a lot of the time we're the most dishonest with ourselves when we're out there trying to hit a, a specific session time. He goes, yeah, yeah, you'll justify yeah. in your head that you'll feel great. You know, but if your heart rate saying that you're working too hard, then, you know, uh, how worth it is it? Like from time to time, obviously, yeah things like that are okay, but making a habit of that. So um, that's been something that I'm really interested in. I've just started to do a, a little bit more based on heart rate myself. Are you wearing a heart rate monitor for all of your sessions, none of your sessions, some of your sessions? Coming back into it, I did a lot of heart rate and lactate stuff. So, um, yeah, from about oh, that end of August right through till probably mid to late October, like when we were just building back that stuff, a lot of stuff we did was based off of heart rate and off of uh, blood lactate measurements just to essentially, like you were just saying, you know, like just to make sure I'm being 
being honest in that sense, you know, like Joe said, there are some days where you feel great and you'd be like, I could run this for like, you know, you might do a six mile tempo sort of thing. And in your head, you're like, I could do this for a marathon. So this has got to be tempo pace, but you're just feeling good. You probably crash two miles later. It's just, you're not going to see it coming on. So, um, so yeah, so I was, I was really adamant to just like, especially through the month of September, just to like make sure I was staying true to the effort that I was trying to do in those sessions and not, not overpress it. Um, yeah. And that, some days that meant, you know, one day was a bit warmer, like, um, you know, it might've been 20 degree, 20, 25 degrees Celsius out and, um, really humid. And I think my progression that day, usually I'd be getting down to around, you know, somewhere between 310 and 320 per K by the end of it at that stage of the year. And I think that day I got maybe 330, you know, I just couldn't, my heart rate was just spiking, um, and my lactate was higher than it was the week before running three tens at the end, just because of the change in the weather sort of thing. And so, you know, those are, those are the sort of things where I think that heart rate, um, or those, whatever data metric it is that you're using can really help, especially early on, because I think like I was mentioning earlier, like at the start of the year, I think I just got back into things too quick. And a lot of that was true in the sense that I was probably just lying to myself as to how I was feeling, you know, and I probably needed to just say, look, just chuck on your heart rate, go back to what you know, like what's going to help educate you as to how you're feeling and why you're feeling a certain way and whatnot. And, um, yeah, essentially that's what we did. So we, we did a lot of that stuff. Um, a lot of my training, uh, with all of my training with Marcus, um, at Villanova and the four years I was with him afterwards was based off of that stuff. You know, we, we do blood lactate tests in most sessions and a lot of stuff was done with heart rate. And then, um, you know, we did a bit of that out at Oregon Track Club when I moved out there, but more so, you know, when we had those big months of intensity, we weren't wearing heart rates, we weren't measuring stuff. It was just like, today's just going to be hard. You know, you can wear your heart rate if you want, but it's going <laughs> to spike sort of thing. Um, and so I think where I'm at now is trying to sort of, you know, with Marcus, I was always always healthy and getting to the start line, and, and I did run well. Um but I, I didn't quite get quite get the result I, I wanted. I think I got sort of 90, 95% of the way there and just didn't quite get over that hump to be as competitive as I wanted to be. Um, and then out of OTC, we, we tried to stretch that and I think we kind of, I maybe lost myself a little bit in that first 90. Um, and so, yeah, so that's kind of what being here is is exciting for me about now is that I'm bringing, you know, a lot of that first 90% to the table, presenting it to Alice from then we're sort of sitting down and being, or he's coming to me being like, this is how we're going to build off of that and get you to, to that sort of competitive position and get the results that you want. So, um, yeah, so it's kind of, I've been very fortunate to have a lot of, like all my coaches have used some form of data um, to be able to help get get a feel for who I am as an athlete and what I need to do and so now I'm putting all those together with Alistair and um, essentially yeah using all the resources we have to keep me healthy but then also being able to know when to, when's the right time to put them away and try and extend that a little bit um, 
yeah, so it's been fun. It's been fun kind of like figuring out a healthy balance between those two things. Yeah. In terms of um, hydration, what what are you doing throughout your week? Like this has been a really interesting subject to me as I've gotten more interested in marathon running. And I'm so interested because I've just finished reading a couple of books, Running with the Kenyans and uh, Out of Thin Air, uh, about the Ethiopian distance runners. And they were both written in around 2011. And one of the standout features, even then, was that for majority of the training, the main fluid they were taking on was just water. And these are guys who yep. are absolutely flying. like They were the best in the world at, at the time. And there wasn't a real sense of focus on specific hydration. Now, I know even the last... 12 or 13 years, I think it's become far more prominent. I mean, you can see that Kipchoge is uh, pretty loud about the fact he's using Morton's when he's racing. What does the hydration uh, facet look like in your own running? Like throughout the course of your day in and around your running, are you focused just on drinking water or have you got a specific supplement or tablet or, you know, fueling gel or whatever it is that you're using to, to get you ready for whatever session you're getting ready for? Yeah, so for the most part, um, my wife's pretty good at keeping me on top of my hydration. So we've got these hydro flasks and, uh, you know, I'm making sure that I'm sipping on that pretty regularly. That's just water um, throughout the day. And uh, But when I come home from, you know, after any run, uh, we have those, I think they're called noon tablets, um, essentially like... Um, I don't know what it's called over in, in Australia, but um, they're just these little round tablets that you drop them in and they dissolve. And um, so, yeah, I'll usually, you know, when I was, I'll have one of those after each run. So if I'm doubling one after the morning run, one after the evening run, um, after big sessions, so those Tuesday, Friday, Sundays, I'd put two in just a large, I'd just have two of them in a large amount of water. Um, and then maybe, again, one in the evening sort of thing. So, is that like a through, sodium a sodium tablet? Yeah, yeah, it's it's you know they they put a little sugar in there for you to make it taste nice, but yeah, for the most part, sodium and electrolytes. Um, and so yeah, so that's that's kind of what I'm doing there. Um, I'll have a protein shake after, which is just you know simple whey protein with uh, some water and um, actually another. We'll, one of those tablets in there as well which is which is kind of nice just to help with a bit of a boost straight after the session um so yes yeah, so we've got a lot of electrolytes going through and and you know we i think i was i did well with this build up as far as the hydration went um but we were also training in winter months over here and so that's something that um you know, I've got to talk with, I'm lucky enough to be working with a dietitian at QAS. So um, that's something I'll be talking to her about in the coming weeks is, you know, leading into the summer months in a, in the US, like what do I need to, um, do I need to up that necessarily or is it more so, you know, drink a little bit of extra water um, or is it food intake? Is it more sort of energy through carbohydrates and things like that that I need to be on top of? So um so yes yeah, so my hydration's been pretty good but nothing out of the ordinary um i drink the morton stuff during the marathon and so i am more so I'm very adamant at practicing with that during the longer sessions and during the long runs um and so i think it they kind of go hand in hand like 
I like having them to get the energy in the sessions, but I also need to do it so that when race day comes, I'm prepared. Like my body knows how to handle it sort of thing. So we try and simulate that with the, with the sessions. So say if we're doing, um, you know, if we were doing 10 by K sort of thing, then you get in the marathon, you get drinks every 5K. So I would take a bottle during the fifth rep and then I'd take a bottle during the 10th rep and just run with it and essentially try and drink. Um, so, yeah, so, yeah, we, we do it for, you know, for energy during the sessions and for recovery process afterwards. But my main focus is just so that my body gets so used to it so that on race day I don't have to worry about how my stomach's going to handle it. Like it's essentially yeah. just another, um, like I can almost look forward to it you know, rather than dreading how how much I'm going to drink because I don't know how my body's going to handle it. I can actually break the race down and be like, all right, get to the first 5K, then you get your drink sort of thing, and then you yeah. can hold on to that for a little bit and then get to 10K. So, um, so yeah, so it's definitely a big factor, but I think we've we've kind of broken it down into a routine where it's, it's not something that I'm having to focus on necessarily. It's just... Uh, force a habit at this point which is um which is good you know that's that's kind of the goal with a lot of this stuff but at the same time like i said i, I have to have a chat with with a dietitian and see what i need to change or what i need to alter going into the summer months um because yeah your body's going to react differently in you know a colder drier winter than a hot humid summer so um you know we'll we'll essentially try to re uh re-establish a new habit i guess as far as the uh, hydration goes and hopefully that'll be i won't have to be thinking about that much come come sort of march april yeah in terms of the next few months just before uh the paris olympics have you got anything on the schedule before then yeah i want to do world cross um yeah that's that's a big one for me i haven't been able to do the last couple because of injury and um you know, that's been a real letdown for me because I think one of my best results on the world stage was at, at World Cross back in 2017. So um, so I'd like to get back there. And I think that was my last cross-country race, actually, which which sucks. I loved cross-country as a kid and, and in college and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, so that's a, that's a big goal for me. I think it'll also benefit me um, in the preparation for Paris. So I think the course is pretty hilly, pretty tough. So, um you know, it'd be good to get a, a tough sort of cross country race and build up uh, in in the early months, and then um, before we start to look towards getting some road races in and stuff. So, um, so yeah, so definitely World Cross, given given I'm selected for it, um, maybe something a couple of weeks before that, just so it's not a complete shock to the system. Um, and then yeah, we we kind of have to sit down and look over what we want to do, but I wouldn't mind. Um, you know, maybe jumping in a few track races in, in April and potentially a 10K in early May just to get that, like we were talking about before, play into that track background of mine a little bit and, yeah. and have a few months where maybe we're a bit lower mileage and can balance out that that gym and, and track work um, appropriately before going into what will be probably a 12 to 13-week build for uh, for Paris. Awesome, man. Oh, dude, it's uh, so good to be able to get a chance to sit down with you and, and just hear from you, hear about what went well, what you can improve on. Mate, I'm so pumped to 
to watch over the next few months and as always be cheering for you going into Paris. So we'll, uh, we'll have to do perhaps a, a little post Olympics or a, 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 if you have time, a pre Olympics uh, touch in base. Cause mate, it's always interesting to, to hear the ground you break and say, congrats. I'm uh, I've got my, I've got my eyes on Brett's record for you. I'm sure you've got one eye on it as well. Uh, <laughs> so I'm excited <laughs> to see you give that a little shake, mate, but thanks for coming on Patty. No, no worries, mate. Thanks for having me again. Thanks for listening to the Relaxed Running Podcast. If you're ready to become a faster, more efficient runner, visit www.relaxedrunning.com.